This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It's currently a, a debate raging on Twitter. It started with Joe Fan, friend formerly of NBC uh, Sports. Tweeted out top 10 video game franchises of all time. One, Super Mario. Two, Halo. Three, Sonic the Hedgehog. Four, Gears of War. Five, Call of Duty. Then something called Mass Effect. I don't even know what that is. Seven, Donkey Kong. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't besmirch Mass Effect. It's better than Mario. Seven, Donkey Kong. Eight, Madden. Nine, Pokemon. And ten, Guitar Hero. I made the point after uh, Brady Henderson said there's GoldenEye on Nintendo 64 and then there's everything else. That you kids have no appreciation for what Mike Tyson's punch out was and the significance of it. And I stand by that statement. Mike Tyson's punch out, greatest sports video game of all time, and it's not particularly close. I remember being called and summoned to my neighbor's house because Davey had gotten to face Mike Tyson on punch out. It was that kind of achievement. I remember my eyes watering because I was staring so intently at the screen because you had to watch. Mike would knock you out with one punch. One punch and you go down. You had to wait until he flashed, and then you would dodge left instantaneously, and you had to stare so intently that my eyes watered. You got anything for that, Paul? I've never played it. Oh, that's what I mean by you kids, you well, millennials. I wasn't allowed. You to don't have know video what games. it really is to stare at a screen. I wasn't allowed like to have we video games back in the day. I didn't have a video game console until I was in fifth grade. I wasn't allowed to have them, so I, you know, I just had to make do. And eventually, you got an N sixty four in the house and. Uh, Halo's number one, and it's not close. Yeah, and uh, those aren't franchises, Danny. Your age is showing. Totally true. I get it. It was just really one punch out. They tried to bring it back on Wii, and it wasn't the same because you had croissants coming out of Glass Joe's head when you punched him or whatever other sort of nationalist caricatures that they created. It is Danny and Gallant. <laughs> Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We've still got Jared Kelnick. He's going to join us coming up at 930. The Seahawks... I don't even know how to characterize. They're not really engaged in two different... There are two two of their five most important players. Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown each won extensions. They're in very different stages of their career. And there's probably very different considerations. Like, we know Seattle wants to get a deal done with Jamal, and they've been going back and forth, and it, it seems like they're close. With Dwayne, we're not even sure what's going to happen. Which one's more important for this team? And I'll even say, which one's more important for this team in 2021? For this team, it is, I would say, more important because of the long term to have Jamal Adams yeah, and to have this one situated. But I, I think that just as much as I want to see Jamal Adams as a part of this team for the foreseeable future because of how good he was last year, I do think that there is potential for this to be a contract that you look at and regret in a couple of years. And it would be because of maybe a lack of impact on the Seahawks' pass defense. Or it could be potentially because Jamal Adams and the way that he plays lends itself to him getting hurt. Last year, he wasn't healthy for the playoffs. He wasn't healthy for a four-game stretch when the Seahawks' defense was looking like one of the worst in NFL history. I find myself thinking that the risk is much larger with Dwayne Brown, both short and long-term. The, the risk is much larger just because of the age. And it, it, feels, it feels lame to kind of say, because I, I love how tough Dwayne Brown is. I love what he's brought. I think he's been a great addition to the team. I just feel like a guy turning 36, 
that you want to keep it on a year-to-year basis as much as you can and asking to put money out in front of it. Hey, if he plays his butt off this year and is dominant and it ends up costing the Seahawks and they have to pay him way more, that's a risk that I'm willing to take because on the flip side is you're, you could be guaranteeing him money for next year and there's no guarantee he even makes it through this year because of the point he is at his, in, in his career. Whereas Jamal Adams, if he were to get hurt, he's going to come back. And you've already seen him come back from injury and play through injury, and you have a certain amount. Jamal Adams is going to be one of the best safeties in the league. Like that's that's kind of the floor for me. That's that's the floor, and you can debate about the value of that position and whether it's too much in the box. But the floor is he's turning twenty five, and the other guy's turning thirty six, and you just everything that they gave up. If Dwayne Brown didn't play another snap for Seattle, you would feel that that was still a great acquisition Seattle made, right? Like, you would still feel that was a good trade that they made. If Jamal Adams didn't play another snap or Jamal Adams gets to a point where his relationship with the franchise sours, it's a disaster because they gave up two first-round picks and a third-rounder. Right, but I think because of that, the, the chances of that happening are low, and it does feel like there is some serious progress being made, where in the case of Dwayne Brown, it, it looks like things have gotten ugly. And it also feels like Seattle is taking a pretty hard-line approach here. One that is understandable, but... When you're looking at the second best tackle in the NFL per ESPN's advanced stat pass block win rate, a guy who is second only to Andrew Whitworth, who is 39 years old, Andrew Whitworth, a guy in the midst of a three-year, $30 million contract that will see him turn 40 this year, I feel like this is a contract that you do, and you're not going to have that many regrets about it after the fact. You're going to have Dwayne Brown in the fold. You're going to have the best possible left tackle that you could have this year and next year with Russ. And that, to me, I think means that it's not that far off in terms of importance when it comes to just resolving this Dwayne Brown situation. Maybe it's different than saying that the two contracts are similar in importance. It's more just getting things done. One, I think, is a lot more dire than the other, and it's Brown versus Adams. Is that because of the potential gap that you see there that, hey, it looks like Adams is going to get done. We don't really have yeah. that much to worry about. It feels and like with, they're, they're, they're not necessarily on the finish line, but in the red zone, right? Yeah, it should seem pretty close. That's when it gets scary, too, because True. when it's close, you're like, okay, why haven't you guys gotten it over the threshold? Like, and maybe it is just there's, there's, still, there's still a little less than a month left before the, the, the first regular season game. So there is time for this to get done. It did make me feel better when you pointed out that Kevin Connor is Jamal Adams' agent. He also represents Tredavious White, and that was something that dragged on and was felt kind of weird in training camp yeah. last year with the Bills, and then he ended up signing a contract a week before. There was even some talk about whether or not Tredavious White was going to play, right? Like there was a question about whether or not he was going to play and opt out because of COVID. So that that made me feel a little bit better. That made me feel a little bit better in terms of, okay, you got to know the guy that's negotiating the deal as well. You had mentioned something that's pretty compelling. In terms of depth, Seattle would be more prepared to go without Jamal Adams than it probably would be to go without Dwayne Brown, right? Mm-hmm. It, it would be, you would have Ryan Neal has played there and is experienced playing there. You would also have Marquise Blair, who you would figure would, would, would be first up to fill that slot if he wasn't there. And that's somebody that, while he didn't play most of last season because of a, a knee injury, he's a second-round pick and someone that it seems that the team has a, has a great deal of hope for. Yeah, and 
with Brown, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what you do if he's not there. Jamarco Jones, then Stone Forsyth, Cedric Obwehi. Forsyth is someone who has a lot of size and a lot of potential. And you know, I was talking with Ray Roberts on the way out of practice on, I think it was on 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 Tuesday, and he was saying like he sees some potential with Forsyth, but you're gonna have to help him out a whole lot. It's a really raw player, and I saw him yesterday at training camp. LJ Collier just going right underneath him. The size difference is there. So, yeah, you don't have a great option there. And Jamarco Jones, you mentioned, is banged up. When you're building a team, do the importance of players, is it based on the depth of your team or is it based on the quality that they possess in the league? And what I mean by that is in the draft teams will always talk about best player available, right? That you try to, you, you try to not be beholden to need. Because that will make you reach. That if you go into a draft thinking, we really got to get a defensive tackle here. We really need a defensive tackle. That that's when you're prone to drafting someone for who you want him to be, rather than for what he is. Oh, no doubt. Is the same true when it comes to that you're paying Dwayne Brown, not because of the left tackle he is, or the likely trajectory of his career in this case. That you're paying him not with the eye toward, okay, we got to understand he's a 30, he's turning 36, might be physically wearing down, but you're, you're paying him on what you need him to be, which is, God, we need two more years of starting from him because if we don't, we don't really have anybody to replace him. And oh, by the way, we don't have our first round pick next year. Because if that's the case, you could be making the same mistake that they talk about in drafting for need. It's certainly part of it. No doubt about it. But I think you can predict this play to continue. I think with Brown, where he's at right now, you are really only wondering if he gets hurt. And, I mean, that happens for any player. That's a possibility for any player in the NFL. Is it really more likely for him at age 36 to get more injured? And we have seen good tackles in their late 30s in the NFL recently. So maybe this is a trend that's going to continue. Whitworth in L.A., uh, Jason Peters in Philadelphia. I know he got moved around a little bit, but Peters is somebody that Philly has felt the need to keep going back to. If you can keep Brown for a couple of years going forward with the way that he's been playing, not just as a pass blocker, but I mean, he's one of the scariest dudes when he's blocking downhill, downfield. You're expecting him to be this, I think, for the next two years, unless you really have some sort of medical information that we're not privy to that makes you feel like all of a sudden, Things are going to fall apart, and maybe that's nah. a, you know what maybe that's something that's going on. You, you you could throw that as a factor in here as far as why the Seahawks are the way that they are. Just look at it and say he's thirty six years old, and what two years ago he had a knee injury he was trying to play through, and it got to the point where he had to have surgery. Like there wasn't really much of a choice, and they're like, okay, we're going to get him back as soon as we can from that. And credit to him, he's a freaking tough dude trying to play through that. And then deciding to come back as quickly as, as he did from that. But that was a sign of like, okay, we're trying to manage that and you just can't manage it anymore. Was there was it a was that the same year he had the biceps issue? Because there was also a biceps issue that was mixed in there. I think so, yeah, in twenty nineteen where he missed four games. But I mean, look at him over the course of his career. Two thousand eight, sixteen games started, two thousand nine, sixteen games started, twenty ten, twelve, twenty eleven, sixteen, twenty twelve. 16, 2013, 14, 2014, 16, 2015, 14, 2016, 12, 2017. He played, I think, I think he played. Oh, wait, check that. He did play 10 games because, of course, he held out for half the season, but he played essentially more games than he could have in the weeks that were left in that year. He's available. 
He's tough, and he's always been out there. If there were other injuries in the past that had kept him out for a long period of time, that would be one thing, but he's never missed more than four games over the course of his career. That's amazing, man. Yeah, it's like crazy. That's, 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 that's really amazing, that sort of longevity and, and durability that exists there. I was, in reading the story in the Seattle Times, and you can look it up, Adam Jude does a good job of outlining exactly uh, where, where things stand in the negotiations between Jamal Adams and the Seattle Seahawks. I, I found myself encouraged because it doesn't sound like the two sides are all that far apart. Yeah, I felt the same way. That it should be, and it makes you a little worried that it hasn't happened yet, but reading it, that the basic parameters of the deal, they're, they're not even arguing over the total amount of money. It's over $2 million worth of guarantees and then the placement, like where different bonuses are. So you got to feel pretty good about where things are are at Unless they've really reached the 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 stare off portion of it, where each side has gone as far as it's willing to go, and they're just not going to be able to cover that final few inches. If it's really about the placement of bonuses, is that really an obstacle? No. I, I honestly wouldn't know. It just doesn't seem like one to me. It doesn't seem no, like it's a very major one. No, it doesn't to me one. either. It doesn't to me either, but that's the sort of thing like I wouldn't have thought when it was Bosa with the Chargers that the idea of offset language, like weird things can become sticking points in negotiations, right? Yeah. Like weird things can become a sticking point. I don't, and there's still a lot of time left. It was jarring to see just how clearly outlined the sort of the, the overall sketch of the contract was, where it seems like everything's kind of been hammered out here, so... Hopefully something does kind of bridge what seems to be a pretty small gap, but you never know the sticking points that can derail an entire discussion. Yeah, that's true. There's no doubt about it. And, and you know, obviously, too, there are things said along the way that are used in negotiations that could be perhaps taken personally. But I, I think if we take a look at the track record of Jamal Adams' agent, I would assume that he is going to operate from a similar from the similar timeline that he has before, where he got this done a week before the start of the year. We got some feedback on, on Mike Tyson's punch out. Uh, Matt Loveless has chimed in to say that uh, t- today's Matt. video game ac- uh, accomplishments, uh, you had to earn video game completion. He still hasn't completed Mike Tyson's punch out, which I think they eventually changed it to Kid Dynamite. I think they got Mike up out of there after some of his, uh, so, so, some, some of his unsavory history. Uh, John McCallum. I still call any hack boxer I see on TV Glass Joe. I always thought the worst boxer in that game was Don Flamenco. I thought he was the biggest tool. Which level was he? Because I knew that there was a progressive level system where they got higher and more and Flamenco more. Flamenco was the first boxer in tier two. Okay, he was he he was he was right in front of the the Indian boxer who would circle around in some sort of mystical uh, fashion. Yeah, there were some 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 stereotypes. Yeah, there were some stereotypes in that game <laughs> that would not be uh, allowed in this day and age. That said, uh, everybody kind of got mocked in that game. It's Danny Gallant. Let's get to around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Oi. Is that the new greeting? Hi, Mara. A British today. <laughs> no. No, none of that. I watched Ted Lasso last night. I think British Paul is going to go over worse than the air horns did. <laughs> We're just mixing it up. We're trying right. new things. Okay, well, we'll see what we have in store tomorrow. It's Friday. Thank you, love. <laughs> God, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't. Um, first up, Go guys. Go straight to HR after this show. <laughs> straight to HR. I feel unsafe. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> the Detroit Lions have released former Seahawks cornerback Quinton Dunbar. He reportedly missed over a week of practice time during camp for what head coach Dan Campbell called personal reasons. Can I? Okay, I'm going to ask. Which TV show would you be more interested in watching? Kevin Mather's Breakfast Club or Quentin Dunbar's Game Night? Game Night. Yeah. <laughs> There's action. <laughs> Kevin Mather's like a bad stand-up comic bombing that just keeps on rolling with it. It's only so long you can watch someone say embarrassing things they shouldn't. Can we, can we talk for just a second? Like, we probably didn't. I wish Quentin Dunbar and DeAndre Baker were more famous because then we would have gotten, more we would have maybe gotten a 30 for 30. Yeah. Out of that, out of what happened there, you had crooked lawyers. Mm-hmm. You had a guy that was was he on the city council or was a member of this, a former member of the city oh, council? Oh yeah, his lawyer, Greco. Like the, the, yeah, Michael Greco, maybe the most corrupt lawyer in recent Miami history. Which, by the way, we're talking about Miami. So Who, he had, if I remember correctly, he had people come to his law office where they exchanged cash. Yeah, and then claimed that he wasn't in the room when the cash was exchanged. I, I, you know, Dunbar put himself in a bad spot there and should have known better. There is a part of me that feels for Dunbar in that he wanted more money from Washington. He had played well enough to probably get more money from Washington. They didn't give it to him. That offseason unfolds the way it does. Whatever knee issue he had started nagging. He was banged up when he up. came here, man. He was never healthy, right? He looked good in week two, though, man. He looked really good against the Patriots, I thought. He had a couple of breaks on the ball where I thought, you know what? This guy this guy looks like what they were trying to get, a guy who can actually create takeaways in the secondary, which the Seahawks haven't really had for a bit. And, and then it just all hit a wall. All right, the, the 49ers still not quite over their injury bug from last year. They have uh, Jukwaski Tart on IR with a toe injury that he suffered last season still and Tony Jefferson nursing a groin injury. So they added veteran defensive back Clinton Haha Dix. Haha, Clinton Dix. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, reversing those. Sorry. <laughs> it's it's not, one of those names where way. you can actually, it feels like a random collection of syllables yeah, d- <laughs> as opposed to a name. Sounds like a Clinton joke. Clinton Ha Ha Dix. Oh, no, sorry, yeah, sorry. It's not a joke from 1996. Clinton Dix, ha ha. Ha Clinton Ha Dix. <laughs> All of it, like you could just say those series of syllables in any sort of pattern and it absolutely works. This ha is ha. true. Clinton Dix. Yes, very much so. <laughs> I'm just going to stop talking. Is that I, all we have to say about that? No, I'm stopping talking. It's it's that time of year. We're still looking for veterans to get jobs. K.J. Wright. I don't know if we're going to see Richard Sherman play anywhere because of the uncertainty about him. But this is the sort of time where you start looking. There are some veterans out there that are hoping for opportunities. Do we even know if Larry Fitzgerald's going to retire? Right, He's not on the Cardinals roster. I don't think he said he's not playing, though. I believe it's still up in the air. All that stuff's weird. So we'll see. I would Earl say Thomas. Le- Earl Thomas going to play anywhere this year? No, no. That's weird. He's going to go a second straight year. He's done at this that point. One, then, that right? One, that one makes sense, though. That guy. I feel like it, they. They. Other t- players have decided they don't want him in the locker. Room. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. The Texans were going to bring him, and they're like, "We don't want that dude." Right. So maybe if injuries happen, but God, that stinks, man. I, yeah, yeah, that's that's. A, I mean, you're right. That is a potential Hall of Fame safety, and all of a sudden he's not. His career is just done. What a weird way for it to end. Yeah, it really is strange. I I think as far as those veterans that you mentioned, I would say probably the last two weeks 
of the preseason because I think there's a gap between the last preseason game and, and the first regular season game because yeah, it starts it's like on the Thursday. Thursdays, all the last preseason games, and then the the next, first regular season game. There's one on Thursday, but the rest on Sunday. I would I would take a look around roster cut down day because I'm sure that there might be some handshake agreements that have already taken place with some of these veterans who are like, yeah, I don't want to do training camp. I'm just going to do my own thing. All right, the Houston Texans, the gold standard of NFL franchises, uh, apparently. Tried to uh, pull a fast one on reporters. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle says that they informed reporters that training camp would just end early and they would not be able to attend the last couple of days. But the NFL immediately shot that down, uh, saying that the NFL rules state that all daily practices must be open in their entirety to local media through August 26th. So glad I am free. I am so glad I am free. The headline today would be Deshaun Watson said he's sick of being filmed. Dude, have you seen the clip of that? I did. What? Deshaun, why idiot. do you think you're being filmed? Do you He's think it has an anything to do with, first off, the fact that you demanded a trade, and second off, the fact that you're under investigation for perhaps 22, if not more, allegations of sexual assault? I wonder why the cameras are in your face. I, I'm very clear. I don't think he should be there at training camp. I think he should be on the It's a distraction. List. I agree. But that, I think it's a that, distraction for the Texans. If I'm them, that, I'm like, this is stupid. That, that's my own opinion. As someone who is, I don't know what kind of malfunctioning brain you have to have to think that it's a good idea to sneer at a television camera, given everything you're accused of as Deshaun Watson, both professionally in asking for a trade and personally in being the subject of 22 different civil lawsuits and saying, why are you filming me? It, it's it's jar- like I. I it changes the, like that's how can he be that obtuse? Like how how does he not get how that's gonna look? Just from a self interest standpoint, you're gonna make yourself look like a absolute and total jerk. I don't think he thought it through. God. Honestly, there, there's why a- are you filming me? The same expletive is what he said. You said it to a television camera. Here's the defense I'll make for him. It has legitimately been the same shots of Deshaun Watson. Every single day, you could just use the same B-roll over and over again. As someone who has worked in TV before, you can use the same B-roll over and over again for years and years and years. There is no point in recording new video of him, but guess what happened when they recorded a new video of him? He gave them all the more reason to continue to film them. That's the ironic part for me that took place here. The, The part about this, he is being allowed to not answer questions. He's He's not done a press conference yet. Because they're saying he's hurt or he's not the starting quarterback or gone through some sort of convoluted to have him not answer questions. He's still getting paid despite having 22 different allegations of sexual misconduct that range on up to actual assault. And and he's he's mad because he's getting filmed doing the same thing walking off of the field. Like that is just jarring lack of perspective. Yeah, I agree. But look, he's... Someone that I feel like is to a point now where he doesn't understand why he's being put out there. This is stupid by the Texans. This was stupid by them to continue this because it is it is a sideshow that they all have to deal with. And I, I don't get why they are just even le- letting it, this breathe, you know? Snuff Standing it out. Gl- we got Jared Kelnick joining us next. Uh, Mariner center fielder who started the rally last night and ended up scoring the game-winning run. He joins us next. 
You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. 3 0 to Kelnick. Hearn to the plate, the pitch. Inside almost hit him, walked him. Tie score, 1 1. RBI for Kelnick is 17th. Give him credit for the eye. We're also going to talk about the bat because his double, which actually had to do a little bit with his legs too. Jared Kelnick's with us here on the Issaquah Pass Control Hotline. Jared, first of all, thanks a lot for taking the time to join us this morning. Yeah, of course. How are we doing, guys? We're doing pretty well. We're doing a little better after that ninth inning last night. That was very exciting. Yeah, it it definitely was a, a heck of a game last night. Were you, when you hit that ball kind of into right center field, are you thinking double straight out of the box? 100%. Hundred uh, percent. With the situation of the game, it's a tight game. Um, I got to get on second base any way possible. So, you know, right when I hit that ball, um, I was I was going no matter what. Jared, it's been great to see over the last couple of games how things seem to really be coming together for you. What's been the key? Uh, you know, just trying to slow things down. Uh, and I would say the main thing is. Uh, trying to just want, win one pitch at a time and not try to do too much. You know, this game is it's different than any other sport. And, you know, if you, you ask for a lot, you get usually get a little. And if you ask for a little, you can get a lot. So right now the mentality is just trying to do or ask for a little and take care of the things that I can control really well. We can tell how competitive you are, and I can imagine in a sport like this, it's got to be infuriating whenever you go up to the plate, you think you have a pitch, whether it's in the strike zone or you think that you were going to knock it out of the park and you end up missing on it, and you think to yourself, God, I should have had that. And one of the things that I found really fascinating with you is that you definitely do take it hard afterwards, but you're able to, the next at-bat, especially over the last couple of games, shake it off. What was it over that, that stretch in Tacoma that I, I guess helped you recenter things to a point where you're not letting that stuff get to your head? Well, you know, the more and more I'm around uh, the major league level, you you begin to realize that um, the fortunate part about this game is that there's so many opportunities to succeed. You know, you play every single day and you have multiple at-bats a game. And it's that you know, if I'm not going to, if I don't, if I don't take advantage and contribute, you know, one at bat, that doesn't mean that I can't the next. So it's really like focusing on that at bat. And if it doesn't go as planned, like yeah, it's frustrating and infuriating, but it's it's quick. I'm I'm doing a really good job right now, turning the page where I know that it, because I didn't contribute this next at bat, I can this next game that I can, and it's just staying positive. We're talking to Jared Kelnick here, uh, Mariner center fielder. Jared, people will talk about baseball as a game of failure, and it, it is unique among among all of the sports. First of all, how much of of an individual matchup it is, yet still a team game. And the other part is getting used to having having setbacks, and a big part of player development is pushing a player to the point of failure and letting them them learn from it. What what have you learned from the different stretches you've had when you maybe haven't had the success you've wanted this year? Uh, you know, the biggest thing is always falling back on the things that you can control. Uh, that's been the main thing for me because, you know, I can't control, um, you know, the two nights ago I hit a line drive, a rocket, 
and the second baseman made a diving play to end the game. And as frustrating as that is, you know, at the end of the day, when I um, when I walked back into the clubhouse after the game, I looked at it as, you know, I did everything I could control. I swung at a good pitch. I put a good swing. I hit it extremely hard. I can't control where they're playing. And so then coming into the next day, I'm not thinking, man, I just lost us the game. I didn't get a hit tonight. It's just, it's a different mentality. That's great to hear. And I'm, I, what, one of the things that's going to stick with me is when you said that if you ask for a lot, sometimes you get a little. And if you, if, if you, if you look for little steps, that that can lead to a lot. When, when you've gone through this season, people have talked a lot about stances or the way that you've changed uh, your approach at the plate. I'm wondering, if you're, are you someone that tinkers a lot with your swing or with your stance? No, you know, I've never changed my swing, um, but just kind of changed my setup just to change my eye level so that pitches up don't look so high and pitches down look down just because that's where pitchers get to make their money is getting people to chase on the pitches down. And I felt like early on I was chasing a lot of those and not swinging at the pitches up in the zone that I could handle. And so just having a more upright stance has really helped me just see the ball better. Jared, there was a moment in the game last Thursday in the Bronx where I, I got really pumped up seeing you hit that go-ahead home run in the seventh thing. And obviously the lead didn't last, but I'm curious. I know that the professional answer is to say, oh, a home run's the same in any ballpark, but did it mean a little bit more doing that at Yankee Stadium against the Yankees? 100%. Um, Yankee Stadium is definitely a bucket list place where I wanted to play in my career. And in my first game there to hit a home run to take the lead um, was definitely um, it was awesome. I was ex- I was extremely excited about that one. One of the things that I've also loved watching about you play this year, Jared, is the approach on defense that you take and and how aggressive you are out there. Um, how how important is is defense to you in your game? You know, I think defense can be something that can get overlooked. And um, so for me, you know, there's days where I haven't been able to contribute with my bat just because I'm still trying to adjust. But I know that on any given day, I can make a play and make a difference in the outfield. And so, like, that's something that – I've really tried to focus a lot of my attention on and be Johnny on the spot with if there's a ball that I can cut off so the guy doesn't get to second or I can make a diving catch or make sure I'm hitting the cutoff, man. That's the stuff that, again, goes back to the controllables. That's the stuff I can control, and I'm really trying to focus on that. Jared, a couple of weeks ago, I know that the clubhouse took the, the news of the Kendall Graveman trade really hard, and for you, that's probably one of the first times that you've seen a player move from one team to another in the middle of the year and you see all the reactions to it. I'm curious what your experience was observing that, being a part of that, and also where the clubhouse is at this point in time now that we're a couple of weeks removed from it. Because I imagine, you know, in the moment, it's definitely something that's difficult to get through. But over time, it's one of those things where, you know, baseball is one of those sports where, as you mentioned, the next day, the next day, the next day, there's 162 of those games to get to over the course of a year. Yeah, I think that when we lost Kendall, 
Uh, I think in the, the day that it happened, it was definitely hard for a lot of us just because, you know, everyone gets to see the numbers and the talent level of Kendall, but what people really don't get to see is just like the genuine person that he is and the leader that he is and how much he affected our clubhouse uh, in such a positive way. That was something that was hard for us to let go right away. And, um, you know, I think after, after like the next day or whatever, or the day after that, I felt that, we accepted the guys that we got, brought them in, and um, and really just decided to that that we were going to the the culture that we were building in that clubhouse that these guys are now are going to be a part of it, and we got uh, we got really a really good group of guys now, um, especially Joe Smith who has been around a while. You know he's really stepped up in that leadership role, especially with us younger guys. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, like it was, it was definitely, uh, frustrating in the beginning, but now we're excited to move on and try to win with these guys. He is Jared Kelnick. Watched him last night, run his way to a double and score the game winning run on Luis Terenz when he belted the, the ball over the center fielder's head. Jared, we're looking forward to watching you this afternoon and we're really grateful for your time this morning. Thanks, Jared. Yeah. Thank you guys. That is Jared Kelnick, and struck by how insightful he is as a rookie about his own process and what he's learning from. It was fun to talk to him. We're going to raise flags. That's coming up next. From the pocket, and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. We talked to a lot of people today. We did. Maurice Blair, Marquise, Marquise Blair, Marquise Blair, Jared Kelnick, Jerry DePoto, Brock Heward. It's a star-studded cast of interviewees today. Yeah. I, I even got into a shouting match with the professor. It wasn't a shouting match. Let me ham it up a little bit. Theatrics of the mind. Check out the podcast. And it it did. I was laughing as we went to break. Oh, you were cackling up a storm, which was pretty funny made me feel like I needed to keep on digging deep, <laughs> dig deep into my fortress, my fortress against said, you, who would dare the, laugh at my take. The 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 part that got me was when he said, "Paul, what did I just tell?" Yeah, you? I know. I felt I felt like I felt like it was my dad talking to me. Yeah. What did I just tell you? He's 36. <laughs> I was like, man, the professor with a strong return of serve here. Yeah. Uh, I'm throwing a flag on Deshaun Watson. 15 yards for unwarranted griping. I understand that some folks don't like to be ogled at or scrutinized, especially when they just prefer people not pay attention to them. But you're a quarterback who is the most important person in a football franchise who has asked to be traded and also been accused by more than 20 women of sexual improprieties. You're being allowed to work currently. You're not on home suspension. You're not under any sort of disciplinary. And not only that, but your employer is shielding you from having to answer any questions publicly to this because either you're hurt or you're not the starting quarterback or whatever charade. Or string quarterback, right. 
whatever charade the Houston Texans are putting on. And so I think the least you can do, just for your own sake, like the the smart, self-aware person would be, I'm just going to keep my pie hole shut. Given everything that's happened, it's just in, in the best interest for me not to say anything. I don't want to talk about anything. When, when you're walking off a practice field, sneering and and cursing about a, a video camera, a cameraman recording you. A, it shows a lack of awareness over the overall scope of the situation that you, to in some people's minds, through sexually inappropriate behavior, at least the allegation, the very least asking for a trade have created. And the second part is, you're really dumb if you think that's going to have the desired result and not going to re- produce more scrutiny on you. Like, it's it's not only is it kind of a level of entitlement that led him to act that way, a jarring lack of what result. Like, there's just no world in which what he said would have anything other than a negative consequence for training more of that attention on him. So, for being dumb and entitled, Deshaun Watson, 15 yards. It's strange that he feels like he would not be the subject of attention if he comes out of his cave at any point in time. You are the subject of everything right now. You are the only thing on the Houston Texans that matters, period. Franchise quarterback, top 10, top 5, whatever you want to say, it's bizarre that that is the way he chose to take this because now the worst part about this is that in acting that way, he is going to make it 10 times worse for himself in the near future. I mean, this is going to be the talk of Houston now for, I would imagine, the next couple of weeks. Probably. Very, very silly. Maura, what do you got for a flag? I am raising a flag for Jenny Taft to um, host, I believe, it is it Undisputed with Skip and Shannon? Undisputed. First pizza. Undisputed. First pizza. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Pizza Um, the take. But yesterday, Skip Bayless had, surprise, surprise, a pretty horrible take um, that Mike McCarthy shouldn't be respected as a coach because he's not in shape. Mm. Um, yeah, so, he said that one of the problems, he wouldn't want to play for a coach. Well, Bill Belichick's jacked. You just don't know it because of the hoodies he wears. <laughs> so she actually, um, you know, came at him a little bit on that take, and he didn't appreciate it, but she did not back down, and I am raising my flag for her. Is everyone who's a opinion. good coach yeah. as fit as you, mm. Skip? Mm. I don't think that's a fair shot uh, whatsoever. I wouldn't want, I said it was a personal preference. I wouldn't want him to be my head coach. That have not had the yeah. perfect ideal physique, including yeah. my college coach. Mm. So I don't think that's a fair mm. shot. Okay. And I'm allowed Next. to have an opinion, yep. Skip. I am allowed mm-hmm. to say whatever okay. I want okay. to say on this show, okay, as guys, you do too. We're mm-hmm. 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 Will join us uh, and you will uh, react no. to Westbrook's You're comment, and maybe I have more to say. Next. So, and in the middle of all that, Shannon tried to Shannon Sharp tried to say, we're, "Guys, we're a team." And Skip said, "Uh, no." Yeah, what's that about? So, I was saying this before. What I had always heard about Skip, because Skip was a newspaper columnist before, who had bad takes before he became a TV guy who had bad takes, <laughs> and. His his egotism was pretty wild. Like the what he wanted, where he wanted things to run. When he's at the San Jose Mercury News, when he worked in Chicago, I, I knew people that had dealt with him in Dallas. That he had an incredibly high opinion of himself. But I'd never heard that he was a bad coworker. 
that he was someone. And what he's doing there is whether it's man's. I mean, he's basically trying to tell her, don't criticize my opinion, which is a terrible thing to say. Someone who's on a show with you who is trying to have their own perspective, right? Like that's so good for Jenny Taft. That's awesome. I, I, I may have to revise my, my opinion that Skip Bayless is now not just a a guy with bad takes, but a guy with bad takes who tries to steamroll co-workers. I'll give her credit, too. She talks through that even though she was being yeah. talked over by two different hosts at the same time, which is not easy to do. That is said, very I'm allowed to have an opinion. Yep. And she said, I might have even more to say when we come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not Give done. it. Get, get her. Get him, Jenny. Paul, what do you got? A really quick flag. I am throwing a flag on the concept of the Field of Dream game. I don't. Oh no, you're not. So dumb. Oh, I'm off your, your take? Mind. Yes, your take is terrible. That's not a good movie. It's an awesome what? movie. Oh my god! Wow, look, a delusional a delusional farmer makes a baseball field so that he can have a catch with his dad, and then he inhales hallucinogens and actually sees him. Oh, my God. Oh, Brings Paul. his family to financial ruin. Oh. It's a slow movie. I don't get it, but whatever. Teach their own. <laughs> Danny also <laughs> likes Hoosiers, so. I do like Hoosiers. Yeah. Other slow, not good movie. But Oh, my God. Oh, What's wrong wow. with you? I am allowed to have an opinion, Paul. <laughs> that's, well, that's what you need to say to me. You need to say to me. I may have more to say when we come back. <laughs> I may have more to say about it tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, we want to thank Jared Kelnick, Jerry DePoto. We would like to also thank Marquise Blair for joining us, Brock Heward for Blue 42, and the Professor John Clayton for, for teaching class today, including with the insolent young pupil, Paul. <laughs> Maura Dooley keeps it all together. and He is Paul Gallant, and you're going to have more of his bad movie takes without my back talk. That's coming up next. And he is Danny O'Neill. Woohoo, Iowa! So cool. I cried during that movie, Paul. I cried. Tears. Multiple different viewings. I fell asleep. Fathers and sons play and catch. Good God, man. Have you no soul. That happens at the very end of the movie, though. Yes. It takes a while to get there. It's incredibly moving. Anywho. Everyone's favorite word. Just me next. My question. Why is everyone looking at Dwayne Brown through the prism of... He's apparently a geriatric now. That's something I'm struggling to understand. We'll talk about that next.